Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So, um, as, as Jason mentioned, I am so much older than him. I know you're shocked. Looking at me, it doesn't look like it, right? Mm, thank you. Uh, so, I actually turned 40 seven years ago now, and when I turned 40, I, I, I was like not feeling the best. I was slowing down physically. My kids were speeding up, and I was just thinking, I just had this, it wasn't like a midlife crisis, but it was definitely a wake-up call. It was like, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking too good these days. I'm not feeling great. I need to make some changes. And so I did. I started, I started cycling. I started lifting. I started doing things I hadn't really done before. I started developing some new habits and trying new things and becoming more active. And um, part of that process for me, and it was kind of, I started off as a whim. You know, it was like, okay, I'm going to try this and see how it goes. But if it gets too hard, I don't know if I'm going to keep going, you know. <laughs> but I stuck with it. And, and here I am seven years later, and, I, and I'm, still, I'm still at it. Um, and God's been good. But so I started this program called P90X. I, I did that a couple times. Some of you may have heard of that. And then I started trying these other programs, you know, to see what, what else is out there. And I tried this program uh, called Body Beast, if, if you've heard of it. It's, it's by this guy named Sagi Kalev. Okay, he's, a, he's Israeli. He's like this big Jewish meathead. Is what he's, he's a bodybuilder. And, you, you know, you do the videos, and he's got these DVDs. And you're like working out with him and his, you know, the other, these other huge guys. You know, you're looking at these guys. They're massive. You know, there's nobody up there that looks anything like me, you know. And um, so what, what I like about Sagi is something that he always would say. So if you're, if you're lifting and you're doing these reps and stuff and you get to a place where you feel like you might not be able to do another rep, he always says the same thing. He's always like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Come on, whatever it takes. He would always say that. And then I always felt like, okay, I can do one more. I can, I can push myself a little harder. And, and it just, his voice just kept, you know, ringing through my mind. So whatever it takes is about transformation. That's what it's about. It's about physical transformation to people who are working out. You know, if, if you want to get bigger, if you want to get leaner, whatever your fitness goal is, you got to be willing to do whatever it takes. You got to be willing to go the extra mile. You got to be, be able to push yourself past what you think is possible. you got to be able to get past that plateau and get that one more rep in, that one more set, and to just keep going. And if you don't do that, if you don't push past the plateau, if you don't do whatever it takes, you're not going to see the kind of transformation that you want, right? But sometimes the same thing is true of spiritual transformation. Sometimes we need to be willing to do whatever it takes and to go beyond what we thought was possible in order to see God do the impossible in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And so that this whole idea brings us to a story today from the Gospel of Mark, a story of Jesus, and about just a few guys, we don't even know their names, but a few guys who really pushed through boundaries, pushed through obstacles, and did whatever it took to get one of their friends to Jesus. So if you guys want to follow along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses. And this is a familiar story to many. It's, this story is found in uh, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And here is what we read from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. So I, I, I love this story, and anytime I read a narrative that talks about Jesus interacting with people, I always try to place myself in the crowd and to, to, to think about what it must have been like to be there. And back in the, you know, in the ancient Near East, the homes were smaller, and people would, if they, wanted, if they wanted privacy, they would keep their front door shut, but if they didn't care, they would just leave their front door open, and people could just come and go as they wanted. Um, the villages were smaller, people generally knew each other, and so this was clearly a home where where Jesus was, where they were fine having people come in and out. And when people learned that Jesus was there and that he was teaching, the house filled up. It, it filled up pretty quick. It was probably more people than are here today. It could have been 100 or more people, both inside the house and outside the house. And they're there to hear Jesus. Jesus had gained some popularity by now. This is early in his ministry. But certainly, people wanted to, to see and hear what he was all about. They heard that he had power. He already had a growing reputation. And so there's all these people there to see and hear what this man Jesus is all about. And as he's teaching, okay, there, these four men were told, they show up with a, with a guy, a friend of theirs, who is laying on some kind of wood pallet or mat or something like that. They can't get into the house, so they find their way up onto the roof. And, and imagine if you're in the house listening to Jesus teach. I mean, I can just imagine being there, and all of a sudden you hear like, I don't know, footsteps or maybe some scratching or pounding on the roof. It was probably some kind of thatch roof with clay and mud and sticks that was dried up and stuff. I mean, it wouldn't have been super hard to dig a hole through this roof. And I can just imagine there's like debris falling on people's heads and people are like, what's going on? All of a sudden there's a hole. And as the hole's getting bigger, the room's getting brighter. And then all of a sudden a shadow as this huge, you know, mat, a man-sized pallet, starts being lowered down into the room right next to Jesus. And at this point, of course, you know, Jesus' sermon is probably over. And everyone's looking at this guy. And imagine you're the guy, the paralyzed guy. You're, you're, you can't move, obviously. You're looking up. You can't see Jesus. You can't see the ground. You can't see the people around you. All you see are your four, your four bros. And they are lowering you down into this house until Jesus comes into view. And everyone knows, everyone knows why this man is here. Everybody knows. He's not there for the sermon. 
right? He's not there for the, for the great worship or whatever it is that was going on. He's not there to find a new girlfriend. He is there for one reason. He's there to be healed. Okay, his friends brought, them to, brought him to Jesus because they believed that Jesus was his only hope. And they are willing to do whatever it takes to get him into the presence of Jesus because they believe Jesus has the power to make him right, to make him well again. And Jesus sees their actions, and he sees their actions, he sees their faith. And in response, he does the impossible. He forgives this man's sins. That's what he does first. He actually forgives this man's sins. And there's a group of other men there, we're told, who are religious leaders. These are the scribes. Okay, these are the guys who are experts on God. They tell you how to get right with God. They tell you how you can be forgiven. And being forgiven is not easy. And clearly, this guy who's paralyzed is a man who has a lot of sins to be forgiven because um, all Jews in that time believed that if you were suffering in life or if you had some condition or terminal illness or anything like that, it was because you sinned. If you were born blind, if you were paralyzed or anything like that, it was because you had sinned and God is not happy with you and he's punishing you. And that's how they looked at this paralyzed man. And so for Jesus to forgive his sins is, is shocking to them. It's shocking because who can do that? Nobody can do that. You have to go through all these steps to have your sins forgiven. You have to go to the temple. You have to offer these sacrifices. You basically have to pay God back. You have to pay God back. If you really want to be forgiven and right with God, then you got to turn your life around and you got to make up for all the bad stuff you've done. And isn't that how a lot of people are living today? They're living with that kind of, you know, keeping accounts with God, trying to make up for the bad things that they've done. And, and so how could this guy ever do that? He's, you know, he, he, how could he? And yet here's Jesus. He has the audacity to just pronounce forgiveness on this, on this man. You know, it'd almost be like, this is a crude way to describe it, but it would almost be like if, if Jason got into a fight sometime today with, uh, with, with Jared Cronin, you know, for some reason they got in a fight. I don't know, they were arguing about whose kids are more athletic or something like that. And, 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 and Jared just went off, hauled off and punched Jason in the face. And I immediately went to Jared and said, Jared, it's okay, I forgive you. I mean, how would that make Jason feel? What do you mean, dude, dude, I got punched. What are you forgiving him for? You know, I'm the one who's been wronged here, and yet I, forg I forgave Jared for that. Well, how can I do that? I'm just another guy. It doesn't make any sense. It's a, it would be offensive to Jason. And I think that's probably something how, like, these religious teachers felt about Jesus forgiving this paralyzed man. He has no right. He has no authority. He's just another man, right? And to them, to them, you couldn't even be healed until you were forgiven. That's how, that's how you related to God back in that day, if you're a Jew. And, and, and so these guys are probably thinking, there's no way this guy's actually forgiven. Those are just empty words. It's blasphemy. He can't actually forgive this man. And so Jesus decides to show them that the man really is forgiven. Okay, and that's why he turns to the, to the scribes and says, oh, oh, okay, you don't think that he's really forgiven, then which is harder? To tell a man his sins are forgiven or to tell a paralyzed man to stand up, take up his mat, and go home? And so that's what Jesus does. He tells the man to get up, pick up his mat, and go home, and he does it. And when that happens, Jesus is showing 
this man's sins are completely forgiven because I've completely healed him. And that would have been shocking to everybody there. They say, we've never seen anything like this before. And everyone who was there would have realized that Jesus, by doing that, by healing this man and by forgiving his sins, is claiming to be God himself. So normally, we would take a passage like this and we would make it all about Jesus. Because it is. It's all about Jesus. It's about who he is. It's about what he's able to do. It's about Jesus showing that he is, he is the final authority. He is the, the, the full representation of God in the flesh. That's what this passage shows us. But I want to take a little different angle today, and I want to talk about these four guys. I want to talk about these four guys and what they did to get their friend to Jesus. Not just how they, I mean, because it's what they did that caused Jesus to do what he did. Right? They, they brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus stopped. And he saw their faith, and he, re- he responded. He responded with power. He responded with healing. He responded with forgiveness. He responded with love. So, and, and I know that everyone here has friends or family that you have been maybe praying for or, or talking with, people who you want so badly to encounter Jesus and to experience his forgiveness and healing. And so I, I want to ask you three questions this morning And we're just going to wrap up with these three questions, and then Jason will come up, and we'll talk a little more. But the first question I want to ask you is, what are you willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? What are you willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? Are you willing to be inconvenienced by your friends who are far from God so that they can get to know Jesus? Are you willing to be available to them? Are you willing to serve them? Are you willing to love them? Are you willing to make sacrifices for them so that they can know about your faith, so that they can see your faith in action, so that they might ask questions to you about your faith and about, and about this man, Jesus, so that you can share the good news with them? My wife and I have lived in our neighborhood for about 15 years, and it took us a few years. I mean, honestly, it felt like when we moved into that neighborhood, we didn't really know anyone very well. And, and we were just trying to, you know, get settled and figure things out. We had little kids at the time and, and just trying to, you know, just trying to make it, you know. And eventually we realized, you know what? We're here for these people. God sent us here. We didn't just choose to live here. We didn't just choose this house because it was a good location and it was a good price and, you know, blah, 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 blah. God sent us to these people. God sent us to this neighborhood for these people. And because of that, we have learned how to be very, very intentional with our neighbors. So anytime a new neighbor comes, I mean, we know all our neighbors' names now. We know what they do for a living. We know, we know their kids. We know their grandkids. And every time a new neighbor moves in, we're very intentional with them. We will go out of our way to let them know that we are there for them and that we're with them. You know, if they, bring, you know, a couple weeks ago, a neighbor brought, um, he had a bunch of trees taken down in his yard. And it's not something I wanted to do but I made sure that I went over there and I helped him clear the brush out of his yard, you know, for one afternoon. And it allowed me to get to know um, them and their kids a little bit. And it's just an open door. You know, it's like, hey, anytime you need anything, let me know. We're here for you. And, and that's because I want to make sure that my neighbors come first, right? And I want to make sure that they understand who I am and what we're about and that we care about them. 
And so if you have friends in your life, if you have neighbors, if you have people in your life who you know are far from God, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to get them to Jesus? Are you willing to love them the way that Jesus loved you so that they can understand who God is, understand who he really is? The second question I want to ask is, where is your sense of urgency? Okay, because these four men definitely felt a sense of urgency. They didn't show up, see the crowd, and, and then they were like, oh man, you know what? Let's just wait till later. Let's wait till the crowd thins out, then maybe we can get into the house. Or let's just come back tomorrow. Maybe Jesus will be back here tomorrow and we'll have better access to him or whatever. No, they were, I, I mean, maybe the guy on the mat, maybe his, their friend was heavy and they're like, man, we traveled all this way. We're not going home now. I don't know. But they weren't going home. They were like, this is happening today. We are getting him in the house. Right? There was a, definitely a sense of urgency. Maybe they thought, this is, we're not, we might not get another chance at this. We're getting our friend to Jesus today. They had this sense of urgency, and I wonder sometimes if, if I have that sense of urgency with my friends, with my friends who don't know Christ yet, with my friends who are, who are far from God, with my friends who are just going through life, you know, just trying to make it. You know, sometimes they, they cling on to some kind of hope, but it doesn't last. You know, they don't have peace with God. And, and I, I just feel like I don't always have that, they carry that sense of urgency with me. You, you know, maybe one of the most urgent things that uh, um, someone could ever experience is losing one of your kids. Have, have any of you with kids lost one of your kids before? I have a couple times, a couple different kids in different situations, a store, at, the, at a crowded beach. I mean, is there anything scarier than that, than losing one of your kids? And when a minute turns into an hour and you're like, oh my gosh, where are they? And, you know, your wife's like screaming at you, you go that way, fine, you know. <laughs> I've been there. And, and you feel like you can't think about anything else. You can't even move on with your life at all until you find that kid, right? Losing a kid. I mean, nothing feels more urgent than that. But what about all of our friends who are spiritually lost? They're spiritually lost, wandering through life, from one thing to the next, looking for something to give them meaning and happiness and, and peace and fulfillment. And we know that that will never happen for them until they encounter the living Christ. And we have the message of hope to give them. Do we have a sense of urgency? Do we have that sense of urgency that if, if we don't tell them about Jesus, they might be lost forever? And I feel like that's important for us as the church to, to get that back, to, re, to, re, to recapture that sense of urgency. And then lastly, I wanted to ask you this simple question. Who did you come for? You know, who, who, did, you, who did you come to Jesus for? Who do you come to Jesus for? Who, who, who did you come to church for? You know, we, we gather as the people of God, and we believe that when we gather, we're in the presence of Jesus. But, but sometimes we forget why we're here. You know what I mean? Like, like, we forget why we're here. We forget why we get together to worship, to hear, you know, great preaching from our pastor, to, to see our friends, and to be encouraged in our faith. Those are all great things. But, but here's what I want to tell you guys, and, and I, I'm so excited for you about this building. And I saw, I saw your live videos yesterday. I, I was so pumped about that. And it's so exciting. You guys are on this journey, and you get to open in a new location. Right across the street from Slinger High School, I've been there. And it's, I'm so excited for you guys, but I, I want to tell you this, okay? You are not building a church 
that you would love to go to. Okay, that is not what you're, that's not what you're doing. You are not here to build a church you would love to go to. You are building a church for others. You are building a church for the people who aren't coming yet. You're building a church for the people who are far from God, the people God is sending you to, to make more and more disciples of Jesus who will then make more and more disciples of Jesus, okay? When you get together, you are getting together so that you can be equipped and built up so that you can be sent out on the mission of Jesus with, with the power of Jesus and the power of his spirit so that more and more people can encounter the love of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I don't want you guys to, to ever forget that, especially over the next you know, couple months or however long it takes for you guys to do this build out. So, and then there's just one last thing I want to say, and then I'll ask Jason to come up, is, is that we are on the roof. Okay, right now, we are on the roof. And I say we because I'm in this with you, and our church is in this with you. And you guys are about to make a, a, a big hole in the enemy's territory. And, and you, are about to, you are about to bring people into the presence of Jesus. Because when you, when you open at your new location, and probably even before then, you're going to, new people are going to be coming. And you're going to begin to meet new people in your community. And God has, has given you this message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus to share with others. And, and you're going to see God do amazing things. You are going to see God do the impossible when you're willing to do whatever it takes to bring your friends to Jesus Christ. And so I am, I am excited for you to be on this journey with you. And I just want you guys to know that you're not alone. You have Crosspoint behind you. You have other pastors and friends and churches that are behind you. And you, and, and, and you, guys, are gonna, you guys are gonna get through this together and you're gonna be amazed at what God does. You're gonna be amazed at, at what God does when you act on your faith so that your friends can encounter Jesus. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for the awesome, um, the awesome power of Jesus that we see not just unfolding in, in the gospels, but that we see in your church today. And we thank you, God, that you are at work today in your church and that you are preparing this church for something great. And I pray, God, that you would give them endurance, that you would give them hope, that you would give them encouragement, and that you would continue to prepare them for the work you've called them to do, and that they would be bold in their, in their work, that they would be bold with their witness, God, and that you would do great things through them as they share this message with people everywhere. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um. Amen. Let's pray and go home, huh? <laughs> wow, thanks, Dave. And you know what's what's really awesome about just our friendship and the cross point story and our story. Um, for those who know the mosaic story, you're hearing a lot of the same kind of vibe and story, but cross point did not didn't start that way. There was some things that cross point had gone through and you had led through and had there's some pretty big things that happened along the way. Um, and I know uh, our hashtag, love where you live, it's, it's, that's just not a statement. That's just not a cool t-shirt, though it is a really cool t-shirt. Um, the, there's a reason why we did this. This love where you live is exactly what Dave is talking about. We are creating a church for our community and taking ownership for where God places us. 
But I know the Crosspoint story, it, it took some, some moves and some work to get there because you had started out as where, where you came in the story, very inward focused. And then there's a big switch that happened. Share with us a little bit about what happened yeah. in the Crosspoint family. Yeah, so, so yeah, uh, quite a few years ago, like around 2012, um, our church, we had, a, we had a great building in a great location in Franklin. It was in the suburbs. We had like three acres of land. Um, and we had, we just, you know, the, the church was, was healthy for the most part. And we had a lot of great programs going on and great people coming to our church and serving and all of that stuff was, was great. But at some point, um, a, a pastor friend of mine um, asked me the question, if you guys were to close your doors, would anyone in the community notice? And that really it was a hard question for me because I, I really took it seriously. I was thinking, I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think our community would really notice. I mean, our church was, was busy. We were active. People were growing in their faith. People were being baptized. All of those, you know, good things were happening, things that we would consider worth celebrating and stuff like that. But we just weren't intentional with our neighbors as a church. We didn't do anything in the community, really. We did this one event every year. It was for one weekend, and we never left our property to do it. So everything was about getting people to come to us. And we just realized, you know what, this, we're missing out on so many opportunities. And, and, um, and so we started to change our thinking about church and we started to change our thinking about the future, and that's what kind of started us on the journey. Yeah, and so, so we ended up selling that building. I don't know if you were going to ask me about this, but we ended up selling that building. We're like, you know, we, we sense God leading us to a more uh, urban location around more people, and so we just sold our building to another church that was moving out of the city, and we ended up landing at a at a high school for a few years doing, you know, portable church. Just you guys know what that's all about and just kind of waiting for God to provide a new home. But while we did that, even before we did that, we, we, we believed God was moving us and calling us to West Dallas. And so we started doing stuff in the community right away. And it was new, and it was exciting, and it was fun. And it was amazing what God did through that. We just started doing events in the community. Anytime there was a big event going on in West Dallas, we were there. And we just wanted to get to know people and to let people know who we were and that we were there and that we were there for them. And that was, that was kind of how it all started. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what's, what's really cool about even that statement, that's something Dave and I talked about early in our planting story um, with that question. And maybe you've heard me say that before. If, if Mosaic were to close its doors, who would weep? The people who attended or the community? And so now when we hear about our building and when you hear the vision of why, why 206 and why we're doing this is we want everything we have is for our community. So part of our vision of we will create a place that's free for our community um, where oftentimes people get charged weddings, funerals, you know, uh, 4-H clubs, whatever, right? Um, yeah, we charge people, and now I feel guilty about You should it. feel, yeah. yeah, you should feel guilty. Um, unless you go to mosaicwi.com slash giving, you can, uh, no, it's kidding, dude. Um, but how do we create a place that's for our community so that if we closed our doors, the community would weep? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just a building, of course, right? You're talking about relationships. You're talking about serving. You're talking about being an asset 
into a community of Washington County for us and you guys in Milwaukee County. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we do that? Well, guys, this isn't an easy thing. It's, it, it sounds like an easy task, but it, it's not easy. We really have to work. And Dave has worked very hard at that as a leader, kind of changing a mindset. And I, and I would say from a very comfortable American evangelical Christianity viewpoint into we're going to be uncomfortable, love our communities, be with people who are marginalized and think differently. And so I know you have had obstacles um, along the way. What were some things as you made this transition within your church family going from, hey, we're in Franklin, three acres, to, hey, we're going to sell our building and go meet in West Dallas Central High School. Mm -hmm. And I went to West Dallas Hale, and that was our rival, so I feel really bad that they (laughs) went to Central, which is a side note, but uh, you made a big switch. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, what were some obstacles that happened? I mean, the biggest obstacles were just um, people embracing the vision because the vision had kind of changed. I mean, it, it had changed in, in a big way. And so we were asking people to move from the suburbs eight miles into the city, basically. Right? I mean, we're right on the – West Dallas Central is like an 85th and Lincoln, so it's in the heart of West Dallas, and even West Dallas is completely urban, right by Milwaukee. And so it was a big ask, but I think the bigger – so anytime you change – your mission or you change your focus as a church, you can't, you can't just add, I mean, you can try to add something over on top of something else, but when you're stretched to capacity, it doesn't work that way. You, something else has to give. You, you gotta, you, there's got to be a trade-off. And so we decided we're going to be, we're gonna, we're, we want to saturate our community with, um, with the gospel. And so we want to be in our community. We want to be doing things in our community. We want to support our community. We want to support, you know, the downtown West Dallas business organization. We want to support this group over here. I mean, we, we latched ourselves onto different groups and um, stuff like that. But we couldn't just do that. We had to sacrifice other things in order to do that. So there were certain things that we were doing at church and certain programs that we let go of in order to be more involved in our community. Because if you ask people, I mean, you guys know this, like if you ask people to do all this stuff, they just don't have enough margin in their life to do it all. Like, okay, we want you to come to church on Sundays, and then we want you to be involved in small group, and we want your kids to go to Awana on Friday nights, and then we want you to, to do a, a, you know, a, a Bible study and all this other stuff. Well, if you want people to come to your church three or four days a week, they're not going to have any time to spend with their neighbors. They're not going to have any time to be involved in their community or to be intentional with people who are far from God. So we intentionally eliminated a bunch of good programs and good stuff so that we could allow people the margin in their life to be involved with their neighbors, involved in their community. And quite frankly, a lot of people just didn't want to do that. And they didn't like, or they, or they didn't, they weren't ready for it or whatever. And so, you know, we definitely lost people. We lost people during that time. And, and most of those, actually, I think all of those, pretty much all of those people landed at great churches and, um, and you know, there wasn't like any bad breakups or anything like that. Uh, I mean, there was a little drama course at times. It's church, right? So, in yeah, church, drama? Yeah, I mean, it was, it got ugly. It did get ugly <laughs> at times, but it's all good now. Like, everything's fine, but, but I mean, it was, it was a, you know, it was a big change. It was hard for me. It was hard for me. It was hard for me to see friends walk away and, um, and people who had been in our church for many, many, it was, it was mostly people who were in our church for a lot of years that said, okay, I'm done. I'm, I don't, I'm not going this way. I don't, I'm not following you there. And so, and that's okay. I mean, you know, I don't think I was expecting 100% buy-in 
Um, but that was part of the cost. That was part of the cost is that not everyone wanted to go with us. And um, yeah, that's the most painful part. <laughs> yeah, and, and to your point, what you're saying, when you look at it from the aspect of urgency, right? Like you, you guys are making a major shift. We're a church plant starting. Um, that urgency of like, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? And I love asking the question. I remember asking you this question um, and I ask all my pastor friends, um, why does your church exist? Why does your church exist? Um, I don't want to shock you, but very few answer that question. Because if they answer that question, well, you know, we have Sunday gatherings. And I said, okay, lots of people have Sunday gatherings. Why does your church exist? And you get down to it, a lot of times we don't even know. Because, you know, we're, we our purpose should be the urgency of getting our friends and our communities to the gospel and making disciples that replicate, that go into their communities that make disciples. That was the mission of Jesus. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And I know you don't believe this, but that wasn't like a go and make disciples, like with a question mark on the end, right? (laughs) Jesus said, all authority is given to me, so I'm telling you, go. And our job is to equip, and you said this, equip and train people. Think of a community. Think of West Dallas. If every four to one people... Thought in West Dallas of how many people are in West Dallas? Now? I don't even know. What's the size of West Dallas? 60,000 maybe. 61,000. Okay. So let's say, let's say four fifths of, of West Dallas thought like the friends. And for the one friend that needed Jesus, they had that urgency to bring him to Jesus, what our community would look like. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Washington County had the urgency of four out of every five people had that urgency, like with the gospel to not bring them into a religion or bring them to even to a church service, but to bring them with the living Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. to have a life transformation, to know Jesus and know the peace that it has. I mean, that's the urgency we're talking about Mm -hmm. and, and how, but that's not easy. That Mm -hmm. that's takes time and that takes discipleship. And I know that you've been on that journey as well, discipling and, and cutting programs, which all church members love when you cut programs. It's their favorite thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so, so. And, no, I, I have to admit though, okay, cutting programs is one thing, but like, hey, I, I, I was a, I was a very inexperienced leader at the time too, and so looking back, there's definitely things I would have done differently yeah. to help people get. Like, I feel like we kind of, we were, we really charged ahead, you know, and and I, and so, I think just giving people time to adjust because planting a church is different than transplanting a church. That's what we did. We transplanted the church, and we. We're trying to sort of revitalize the church. And, and so we already had a lot of people who were going one way. And then we, you know, we, we changed directions. And so we were asking people who had been going in this one direction for many years to totally change their direction and focus. And that was a, that was a bigger ask than I think I realized at the time. And I had already been down that path on a personal level, in my personal life, with my neighbor. You know, and so I felt like, Guys, we can do this. Let's go. And not everyone was ready to go. So, yeah. Yeah, that's wise, man. Um, is it? The, I don't know. it, it is wise. <laughs> because as a, as a church plant, um, and, and you guys, if you know that or, or you're just tuning in for the first time, um, we're very flexible. We bend a lot here. Mm-hmm. But the older we get, the less flexible we're getting, much like when yeah. you're the seventh anniversary of your 40th birthday. Um, mm-hmm. 
it, the flexibility starts to go out the window, I hear. <laughs> That's what I hear. It gets a little worse. It, yeah, you're right. less flexible. I've never experienced that, though. No, I've never experienced uh, I'm not yeah. that old. But... Uh, uh, but when we when yeah, don't get comfortable. That's what that's what the point is, right? Yeah, that's right. Don't get comfortable. That's right. If we can stay flexible, yeah, stay flexible. into what God is calling us to on mission, mm-hmm. um, that creates a group of people who are thinking discipleship versus what's best for me. And you said that this isn't about us. This is about, and I love your statement. We're building a church for people who've never walked in yet. Mm-hmm. What a great place for us as a church family to begin our prayers. Every time when we're at the building, driving by the building or thinking of the building, Lord God, show us how we can be this place of hope for people who don't even know who we are yet. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. exciting. So yeah. as we wrap up here, um, last question I have you for you. You've been down this pathway before us. You re kind of church planted, but really it's a revitalization. Um, we've got this building. They went through a huge building project. What Dave didn't mention is, God led them on this crazy journey of, of building, which took a very long time, mm-hmm. which led them to an old um, Goodwill store uh, right off of Oklahoma, 120, uh, Highway 100 in Oklahoma. Um, and I know that area well. I grew up in that general area. Mm-hmm. Great building, lots of renovations. You walk in, it's beautiful. But when you walked in the first time, it was not beautiful. Yeah. Um, you've given us lots of great wisdom of buildings and things like that. As we're getting ready for this, what would, what's your kind of your last word of advice as we're in this new stage of... Yay, a building. Yeah, that's going to wear off probably, but um, <laughs> our build-out did not go as planned. You know, like we had, we had very experienced contractors who went to our church, and they said, this is what we're projecting. We're pretty confident about this, and everyone was really excited. And then it didn't happen the way that they said. And so the thing just, it just kept dragging out, and, drag, and then we had issues with E, and just one thing after another, a lot of hurdles and obstacles and things like that. And it ended up, like, at the beginning of the journey, like, everyone was hands on deck. You know what I mean? But then about two, three months in, not every, you know, fewer and fewer people started showing up and giving their time and energy and stuff like that. And then about six months in, it was really just a handful of people who were giving 15, 20, 30 hours a week to finish what we started. And... Um, and it just got to where it really wore on certain people. And it ended up, um, ended up you know, again, like kind of costing us relationships. And it, it became a real kind of stressor on our leadership team as the leadership team was really carrying the heaviest part of the load. And so my, my, here's my piece of advice without going into the rest of the story. Um, I mean, God was good. God was faithful. And we ended up opening our doors, and it's been amazing. Um, but my piece of advice would be, as you guys enter this phase of, of your mission, right, the building is just a tool. It's just a phase. You know, you guys got a long story ahead of you, um, God willing, like a lot of great years of, of spiritual growth and fruit and seeing Jesus, you know, do amazing things through you. But during this phase, this unique phase where you're doing a build-out, like, you really don't know what's going to happen. You, you just don't know how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost. So my advice to you would be to take really good care of each other during the next, like, few months. Take care of this guy right here, all right, because he's wired to just go there with every spare hour he has and, and, and probably Nick, too, and, the, and whoever else has the time, and just to pour themselves in to getting this thing done. But if you, you know... 
if you don't take really good care of each other through this, you're going to regret it later. And so I just say, just take really good care of each other as a family and watch out for each other, pray for each other, um, ask each other, ask Jason how he's doing and how you can pray for him. Because, because um, you know, eventually it may end up being just a few guys who are carrying the load and, they, and they're going to need your support. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, I'd like to wrap up our time here and invite the worship team to come up. Uh, just praying for Dave and for the Crosspoint family. Um, again, when you guys think of them this, this week, um, they are an example to us of what it looks like to, to take your friends to the roof and to get them to see Jesus. That's amazing. So let's pray. Great one. Thank you so much uh, for this amazing friend, uh, for this amazing church family. Lord, as we learn from those who've come before us, and what a, a, a solid word, Lord. I'm encouraged and challenged, Lord. What urgency do we have, Lord, to go to the point? Do we even look at it with that sort of urgency as we enter into this phase of, Lord, what will we do to get our friends to you? God, I thank you so much for the ministry that's happened through the church, for the Crosspoint family and that church family and what they're doing there. Would you bless them right now in unbelievable ways, Lord, even as they're meeting today and as, as Pastor Dave continues to pour into them and lead them. We ask for a fresh breath of leadership, rest for him as well, Lord, as, as they continue to drive forward into impacting a place that's very special to me, my home, where I went to school in West Dallas. Lord, may many, many, many come to know who you are. Many come to salvation in Jesus Christ because of the amazing ministry of Crosspoint. We ask this all in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.